Hey, marketing friends, it's Misty here, and I'm so excited to bring you the next guest and his story. It's the story of a local boy who was born and raised here in central Illinois, left the state after grad school, and had a successful career as a healthcare entrepreneur in California. He is now back in town and investing big in his community. If you're from central Illinois like me, you know who I'm talking about. It's none other than the developer and local celebrity, Kim Blickenstaff. Kim has had a long line of success in his career, including being president and CEO of Tandem Diabetes Care from 2007 to 2019. And then he became and still holds the role of executive board chair. Among other advanced developments in the healthcare industry, Tandem is most known for its state-of-the-art insulin pumps. On today's episode, Kim and I talk about how he went from making innovative healthcare breakthroughs and developing life-saving technologies to now massively impacting our community through developments that will improve the quality of life in his hometown for generations to come. Kim and his staff at KDB Group seem to make headline after headline for their radical ideas, like a 200-acre world-class wilderness resort with full-service fishing and hunting experiences, or rehabbing the old Scottish Rite Cathedral to reinvigorate the performing arts culture in our community, all the way to actually building an interstate park over our busiest highway in town. Talk about leaving a legacy. And so you may be wondering why I invited him on the show. Isn't this a marketing podcast after all? Well, Kim is absolutely a marketer because he understands that the brand is so foundational to many other pieces of a successful business venture. And beyond branding his projects, he holds true to his own personal brand. He's not just a business guy with a successful background in finance and leadership. He's a lover of nature, a humble Midwesterner at heart, and just a sincere guy. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Mr. Kim Blickenstaff of Katie Beaker. Welcome, Kim Blickenstaff, to Samantha. I'm so excited. I have wanted to meet you for a really long time, actually. But you have become a little bit of a celebrity in our community, and you're probably tired of hearing people say that. (laughs) (laughs) But really, I mean, your name is on the tip of everyone's tongue here in town, and you are just doing some amazing things for us. So I'd love to hear your background and story from a very personal perspective, knowing you're from the area. Well, born at uh, Methodist Hospital. Yeah. uh, I was the fourth one in line. And my dad was an amateur architect, and he designed okay. a home, and uh, we built it out in Spring Bay, and I moved out there when I was about four or five. Okay. And so I was always raised in Spring Bay. All right. So Spring Bay, and your your dad worked at CAT? Yeah, right? my dad worked at CAT, came back after the war, and uh, went to work over in the East Peoria side, in the old CAT there, I think building KK, something like that. Tell me about your mom. Your mom was a dancer. Is that what I read? Yeah, my mom was a dancer. I think she first started performing when she was about 14. Well, our parents shape us so much. How did your mom and dad shape you into the leader you are today? <laughs> God, these are deep questions. I know. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. It was always church, school, home, legion. Yeah. In that community out there, there were just all these eyes were on me. Sure. You know, there were expectations that, you know, what the kids would all do and achieve. We all had our dream of what we were going to do. It was just a very close, warm kind of a family. That's and, awesome. And, yeah. you know, I, I didn't want to ever disappoint mom and dad. Sure. Because if I did and they heard it from other people, then I was really yeah. in trouble. You know? you know, I have a similar story. My mom was a school teacher and my dad was a basketball coach. And so it was, those eyes were always on you. What did you want to be when you were little? Did a you, lawyer. A lawyer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was really caught up in Abraham Lincoln. That's cool. And so I read my grandfather's uh, Sandberg volumes of his life. 
And I thought I was going to grow up and be a lawyer and a politician, if you can imagine <laughs> that. I wanted to be Governor Pritzker, I think. That's great. Okay, so moving ahead. So you went to East Peoria High School. That's correct. And yeah. then up to Loyola. You came out with a finance degree? It was pre-law. Okay, okay. so I made a left-hand <laughs> turn to go to business school. Okay. I was a resident assistant my okay. senior year. And it was made up of undergraduates and graduate students that had the highest GPA. So it was pretty competitive. And I just saw the lawyers were miserable and the business people were having a, <laughs> having a ball. So I said, okay, maybe I can learn business. Right. That's awesome. And so you came out of school and you wanted to go into healthcare, right? Right. I'm not sure exactly why, but when I compared it to interviewing at a steel company or a paper company sure. or a bank like Continental Bank, it was just obvious they were doing something research-based that did good things for people. Yeah. And so it was like an easy choice. Right. So talk us through some of your steps there in terms of going to Baxter Healthcare and then moving out to San Diego. How did your career just start building on itself in some of these technology innovation spaces? I was lucky at Baxter to actually be in a group called Profit Planning, which is probably against the law now, but we plan profits. And so we acquired in a lot of different companies as divisions and we you know, started internationally, country by country. So we had a lot of these, these independent divisions. And I got to go out and do reviews to see what they were doing, what was selling, how they were accounting for it, were there risks to their forecasts. Cool. So I got exposed to, geez, 20, 30 businesses at Baxter. Yeah. And it got exposed to a lot of financial concepts and strategic planning. and Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I was exposed to all of that. You know, I sat for the CPA while I was doing all that because I wanted to know accounting better. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. So what ultimately inspired you to go out on your own? An established biosite. Wow. When we were at Hybertech, there were three of us, uh, three scientists and myself, and we developed this new product that became like a $20, $30 million business for the company. And Eli Lilly bought us for the monoclonal antibody technology, which you've heard a lot about with COVID. And so I tried to convince them to let us start a little division, put us in a different building, let us innovate, get away from the Lilly structure. And they wouldn't do it. So I went out and raised some money and we did it. Oh, my gosh. And that was when you were in your 30s? Yeah, that had been about 35. And then you had a whole host of really amazing healthcare products that your team produced. Right. BioSight was really focused on conditions that were diagnosed in the emergency room where there was a lot of unclarity. And so if you could pinpoint what it was quickly, the emergency room physician could get it to the proper subspecialty like cardiology, you know, that sort of thing. Knowing your healthcare and innovation background, it's just amazing to me where you are today. So so as you moved on to tandem diabetes, it seemed like you just always had this very entrepreneurial spirit. And now you have a development company called KDB Group. And tell <laughs> us about that part of your career, that transition. Biosite was acquired back in 2007. And I wasn't done. You know, I wanted to really build the company up. And, sure. you know, we were acquired in a hostile way, which is not fun. No. And so... A fellow I knew who had worked at Baxter, Dick Allen, was had a granddaughter with type 1 diabetes. Okay. And he invested in a company that had some technology that was supposed to make a you know a better insulin pump. And he asked me to join the board. And I looked at it and I said, you need a CEO. Sure. And, you know, so he hired me. That's great. And so you had a great run there and the board. still chairman <laughs> of the board. That's awesome. So how are you running that company and then also going out and starting your new developments? Part of the trick is good succession planning. Mm-hmm. So John Sheridan is the CEO and president now. I've handed that job off to him about two years ago. I'm just a board member, but we do everything via Zoom now. So, you know, it's a Zoom world. Sure. You know, and we're pretty efficient. Our board meetings are 
four hours in two days. So that's not a lot of workload. Okay. So then walk me through KDB. What inspired you to grow this organization? (laughs) Well, I had seen quite a few folks who were successful do this and do it in places you probably haven't heard of, but I started seeing it in magazines and and one fellow, Bill Hawkins, did it in Durham, North Carolina, and he's somebody I was acquaintances with. And it was a river town, tobacco left town. So you sort of get the, the theme there. Right. And we talked about, you know, can I do this in Peoria? Mm. And he told me that, yeah, for every dollar I invest, so be 10 or $12 invested side by side as people gain confidence. Sure. And sure enough, it's working. <laughs> it is working. I mean, we're going to talk through all of your crazy, amazing projects as we go through today, but... I mean, other than your historical roots being from here, you see something in this community. And I'd love for you to articulate that. (laughs) It's the people. You know, I keep telling people that I meet, I've made more friends in two and a half years than I made in 40 years in San Diego. I don't know that I met anybody in my career who would admit they're from here. (laughs) And I have met a few that I now know were from here. Yeah. You know, I was talking to my business partner, Maggie, this morning, and she said, those of us who are from here, we don't take as much pride as maybe we should in being from here and all the amazingness around us. Right. Well, one of the things I've learned in in business and venture capital is is that our Midwest values are at a premium because we can be relied on. Our word is better than a contract. Right. We're good to work with. We want to do the right things. And that's what I find here in Peoria. Everybody in my company seems to be from Kansas, Michigan, Missouri, <laughs> Florida. <laughs> you look for those folks, huh? Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. All right. So on when I go to the KDB website, you talk about inspiring communities to flourish with character and essence. And then you go through almost what seem like your values in terms of listening to the community and collaborating and preserving the character and essence and the local history. So when you stood up this organization and you know you wanted to focus it on Peoria, like how did that come about? How did you set that vision for the organization? Well, it's just the way I am. And, you know, as we got to be an organization, this started out with projects that I had my nephew, Greg, sort of managing. And then one day we realized we got a company. And part of being a good company is having good presence, good image, branding. Yeah. You know what that's all (laughs) about. Absolutely. And you want to have a a brand that really expresses your values and and you want to be classy about it. Absolutely. You you want to be the premium in your category. So that's how that evolved and Shannon Halford does all of our branding and all of our content for our, you know, various social media and webpage. And then Mike Bailey, who's a local writer, I call him our Carl Sandberg. <laughs> he just, he, he's got a voice of Illinois and yeah. he's able to write these things in a way that, you know, makes me seem larger than I really am. Oh yeah. No, I love all of your branding. You guys do a really good job. Do you consider yourself a marketer, Kim, or do you still? Yes, I yes? absolutely do. Yeah. I studied finance, but I love marketing. Yeah. I got in the first chance I could. What is it that you love about marketing? Well, like I said, creating brands and franchises that are industry leaders, Yeah, which is what I've done. There's more emotion in these brands than just saying cat. Absolutely. Well, I've heard <laughs> Sorry, you say- Sorry, cat. <laughs> no, there's, I mean, you, that brand love, right? That very much comes through with Caterpillar. But I've also heard you say you're not just a developer. You're sort of an owner-builder partner. It seems like you're, you're not just about getting projects out of the gate, right. but sort of sticking <clears throat> with them, right? Right. You know, a lot of what we wanted to do, you couldn't do with bank money. For instance, San Cody, yeah. when we got involved, it was a gravel pit mm. and the loan against it was valued as a gravel pit. Yeah. And now today it's a, a resort and you can put your hands on what that's worth in Wisconsin or Michigan. Yeah. And sometimes you have to do it with your own capital because banks are not designed to take that kind of a risk. And right. I am. Right. So. Well, 
I love that. So talk a little bit about those waterfront developments. We have San Cody and Al Fresco Park as two visions of yours. What was it about that area down there by the river that you wanted to bring back the history? Well, I was, I was born and raised on the Spring Bay side of And my mom used to tell me it was like the playground yeah. you know, you know, when she was young. They didn't have air conditioning. They ride the streetcar out there and it was cool and the water was clean. And she said it was like magic. Wow. It sounds like it. And people have forgotten it. Right. So where are you in the process of that development? Well, we're in final stages of actually designing the uh, park, how it's going to be. Theodore Hare, who is uh, a local boy. Sure. Who's in New York. He went to Harvard. Yeah. And he's our landscape uh, architect and urban planner on things that we're doing. So we're finalizing a design for that. There are some preliminary drawings, I think, on our website on that. Yeah, but it's meant it. to be more of a botanical garden. Okay. I can't you, wait. You know, not a carnival, but a place you can go and actually feel how the nature used to feel down in that part of the world. That is so exciting. <clears throat> Say more about San Cody. <laughs> how much were you in, by part of the inspiration for that vision? Well, that's <laughs> a pretty easy story. Dwayne Atherton, who uh, was operating and owned that that gravel pit, took me out to Giant Goose Ranch. Okay. And I got to meet the Hermans, and I'm the first person that ever fished with a fly rod out there, and they couldn't believe what they were seeing, this long nine-foot rod. And I had a ball. Yeah. And Dwayne said, well, wait till you see my place down at Spring Bay, the gravel pit. And I went down, and I thought, it's a resort. Yeah. It, all the elements are there. And it's more than fishing, right? I mean, you've got glamping and the cabins, and it's really a family-focused. In a classy way that you'd almost find in Montana. I modeled it off a place that I used to go in Montana. That's so cool. And they had tents like that. And and so that was the model. You know, those resorts that I would go to were booked a year ahead. Yeah. And so I knew there was demand for that. And I thought, well, there's none here. And I know people are from here are going to Wyoming and Montana. Absolutely. I can't wait to take my family there. I'm so excited. Let's talk a little bit about the heights. Cause I think if people know your work, they definitely know that you're focused in that area. I've been to the Betty Jane. We had our mm. Christmas party there. Pretty fun, huh? It's so cool. And I can't wait to go back, but talk a little bit about what else you're doing in that part of town. We bought the Paps building. Okay. You know, the folks we bought it from, it was sort of an orphan and we decided we could put our headquarters there and clean it up and sort of establish a little bit of the nostalgia for Paps in the Heights, doing the Gray Boy Lofts and you know, yeah. the hotel, the atrium that we've, we've been working on. So it was sort of a footprint for us. And a lot of good things are happening. I mean, you know, we just had a plastic surgeon move in across the street. Did you see that yeah. big grand opening? That's going to be that? amazing. Yeah. And we're, we're doing the old uh, water treatment house behind the uh, Tower Park. Yeah. And it's going to be a popcorn and ice cream shop. So cool. In the neighborhood. So a lot of little delightful things there. I love that part of town for sure. And then some of your newer announcements, you talk about sort of the central business district with Interplay Park and Correct. Scottish Right. So why is that part of town important to you and bringing back that history? Well, when I came back, people told me to avoid Peoria because it was t- too far gone. Yeah. That makes and me sad. I, well, that's what they told me. And, you know, so we got started in the Heights. And then Julie Bielefeld mm-hmm. called me one day and said, the Scottish Rights is for sale. I'm like, what? I remember it because yeah. I was in there, yeah. you know, when I was a kid to see a Christmas carol. So they, they got in and took pictures of movies and crawled around the place. And I found out it had been for sale for two years. And if the, nobody bought it, it was going to be demolished. Oh, my gosh. And so I had that panic attack of, <laughs> well, I can't let that place be lost. Absolutely. And so as you know, we've got it restored and people are seeing it, it's such a center of, I don't know, hope, nostalgia. It is. And, and so as I look around the neighborhood and at the interstate and I see what that interstate did to that area, I thought, 
a park would cure that problem. Right. And so people have rallied around the idea. Ray LaHood is going to help me raise money. He's better at that <laughs> than I am in terms of knowing the departments that might influence it. But Darren LaHood, Sherry Bustos both ask us to submit a, you know, a proposal sure. for the proposed infrastructure funding. You know, there are guidelines out. So we, you know, we put together a plan and are submitting that as quickly as we can. I want to be the best that comes to anybody in Illinois. It's so great. Well, on behalf of Peoria, I want to say thank you for all of these developments because I am excited personally to take advantage of them. But I think the question on everyone's mind is when you see a strike of inspiration, number one, how you talk about this. How do you know you want to put it out there quickly, knowing that there's a lot of work to get the funding, even when you're personally contributing? Sometimes it takes banks or like you talked about right. the infrastructure money. How do you make decisions and say, we're going forward with this? Each situation is different, but it has to be a good idea. I mean, yeah. if I say it to somebody and they say, that's a great idea, then I know it's a great idea. you got to ask enough people that know you've got a representative sample of the community. Sure. You know, I don't want to do something that nobody wants. You have to look at, how are you going to capitalize this? Is this something that a bank will be a partner on? Is this something I need to do on my own, like San Cody, where you know, it hasn't been done before, there's no way to value it? Or something like Interplay Park, which is could be funded by governmental agencies. I sure. mean. The I-74 improvement a few years ago was a $200 million project. Right. This is in that neighborhood. Wow. You know, why not? That's so great. Well, when you talk about your entrepreneurial roots, you say you kind of have to know what's in vogue. You got to be like directive and visionary and this is going to happen. So has that always been a part of you or was that something that le- you've learned over time and all of these? I'd say learned over time within HyberTech. We said what we we're going to do when we developed this rapid pregnancy test for the first time, rapid and sensitive and so I learned some confidence. You know, at BioSide, I said what I was going to do. And at times, I had great doubts. Sure. At Tandem, we knew what we were going to do. But sometimes financing put it in doubt. Right. And so if you can combine a great idea with proper financing, then it's a little less stressful. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I have to believe once people start experiencing your developments, that it's just going to create this momentum to want to take advantage of more. What else is on the horizon for you? It seems like almost weekly we're seeing things in the news. and. <laughs> The plan at San Cody is to be more than just the property you see in Spring Bay. I think we have close to 800 acres under management now. Okay. And so you can go stay in San Cody, but then you can go on a day trip on the river and go fishing. We have year-round hunting on, we have the 1840 Ranch and two other properties, one in Sparland and one there at, what is that, Crow Creek. Okay. They're all sort of contiguous. So, you know, if you want to do uh, Spring Creek fly fishing, we have that. If you want the bird seasons, you want to get out and hunt. Bow hunting for deer is a big thing. That's cool. So, you know, I think we're the only full service hunting and fishing lodge in the state. That is awesome. Like I said, I cannot wait to take advantage. I also want to acknowledge just your leadership. In 2020, you were named Director of the Year by the Corporate Directors Forum due to the work that you've done leading the Tandem Diabetes Corporation. So some of the things that the the article that I read talked about is just your ability to build and foster a collaborative culture, your ability to, like I said, focus on the financial side of things, turning stock price around, and just your innovative ideas. So you seem to have a lot of key strengths that all of us strive for all the time. What is it about you that makes you a unique leader? What is it that makes those things work? Well, I'll tell you what people say, that I'm easy to work with. I made problems fun. You know, when something goes wrong, the last thing I do is panic. Sure. It's just like, okay, let's stop bouncing off the walls, figure out how we fix this Yeah. with with a sense of hope and humor, because I know the pressure that people are going to be operating under trying to fix a 
problem like a recall. Yeah. We are subject to things like having the FDA tell us to recall a product because we have a problem. Mm. And that, you know, that can damage, tarnish your image and all sorts of things. And it's just like, relax, let's figure this out and, <laughs> you know, give ourselves a little space and come yeah. back on Monday. So, so that's how you, I operate. Yeah. Well, it seems like you're naturally curious. You have an intense interest in learning. Oh, I do. What I other do. people do. Yeah. Learning yeah. is fun. Yeah. Learning all your life is fun. And yeah. you begin to build on this knowledge base you acquire and to me, it's just fun. I always yeah. like school. <laughs> I love that. I think that's critical. We say curiosity here at Samantle is what makes creative ideas happen, right? It's Correct. connecting all those dots. So that's exciting. All right. So I'm going to also acknowledge like your generosity in this community is honestly just really humbling. So I guess the question is, what is it that makes you want to give back in these gigantic ways? <laughs> Well, you know, I was talking to a fellow here that I just met, interesting guy. His name is um, Paul Joseph. Yeah. Do you know Paul? Yeah. He lives in the north side, and I'm interested in revitalization of the north side with, you know, Interplay Park coming. And he told me about his life. You know, he's a successful guy. And then he said, you get to the point where you want to be significant. Not significant in the sense of important, but I want to be of significance to the community. And he does, too. Sure. And he wanted to meet me because I'm like him. Yeah. I think he described himself well and myself well. Well, you're most certainly leaving a legacy here. That's for sure. Well, <laughs> got to do something. You can't oh, take it with you. I mean, you're making multi-generations of impact, which is so cool. What is the sort of internal decision-making process you use in your head when you have this spark of inspiration? How do you say to yourself, is this something that I really want to do? Is there that internal measuring stick? I'd say, do I have positive, fun memories about it? Okay. And do I think people would have the same if it were back up and running? That's so cool. And that's the Scottish rights. You know, that that's, that fits that to a T. San Cody is nothing more than Dwayne and Greg and I bottling our childhoods and selling it. And just last week, you gave another million dollars plus to the Peoria Women's Club to that's restore right. their building. And, and right. the memory there was from your mom? My sister, Wendy, and I believe her daughter. That's... My, my niece, Randy, both performed there, too, with Peoria players at one time. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your secrets of success or advice that you would have to pass on to others. You've been through a lot. You've had a lot of successes and failures probably in your career. What's something you've learned that you would pass on to another leader? I study failures. Do you? Yeah. I, I like to know why something failed. Okay. Why is Kodak no longer around? Right. Yeah. You know why? I'm, they had all the patents for digital photography and images but they didn't want to bring it to market because they put their business model out of business, oh. which was printed paper and chemicals. So you got to be willing to go there. Steve Jobs put a camera on your phone and killed Kodak. Yeah. So I like to read how do companies get destroyed sure. and what mistakes do they make? You know, how do companies avoid creative destruction? Apple reinvented itself. I mean, you used to have the iPod, right? Mm-hmm. Music on it. Right. They obsoleted that product it was several hundred million dollars a year by putting an app on your phone yeah so some get eaten in the in the jungle and some thrive right and i like to figure out why people get eaten so i don't get eaten (laughs) well in the world of marketing too we talk so much about what is your next best step is it an adjacency to what you're doing or do you really need to innovate what the market is going to do before it even knows. And so when you were leading these medical companies, what was the innovative process you used to make sure you had a pulse on the market and the insight you needed to confidently go in a direction? Well, you start out with a product and then you try to figure out what the long-term strategy is around it. Okay. And so with Tandem, insulin pumps were ugly. That's what we found in Mm. big. 
So that's why we have T-Slim. And then they were hard to use because they weren't intuitive. So we borrowed the Apple model and we you know, made it a, a touchscreen. Yeah. And then we had the first updatable software remotely, which you know, people said the FDA would never approve. And they did. You know, we figured out how to put all the controls in place. And then it came back to this closed loop control theory I was speaking about. Right. Tom Ulrich came out of aerospace. So he designed control systems for airplanes where you had multiple control surfaces and input data that control them. And the world was saying, you'll never get a closed loop for pumping insulin. And so I said, Tom, is that true? He goes, Kim, this is easy. He said, all you need is continuous glucose monitors to be good enough and I can de uh, design your control system. And I said, Tom, why is everybody saying the opposite? He goes, they don't know anything, Kim. I said, and so that became our next step in our in our development and control IQ is probably a standard of care out there now in the marketplace because we did do it when people said you couldn't do it. That's great. Well, you were doing design principles and user experience testing before it was cool, right? Yeah, absolutely right. The FDA enforced that on us. They look at their reports. There's a system called MAUDE, M-A-U-D-E, which is adverse event reporting. Okay. And uh, the most adverse events by sort of size of the market were in uh, pumps. Okay. Fusion pumps and insulin pumps. And it was because of confusing interface faces led people to do something wrong. So they wanted a system where you almost didn't need, you didn't need a user manual. And you repetitively tested it to make sure people didn't make close calls, near misses, and errors. Yeah. So I learned all about human factors science. During so that, interesting. During that. Would you say that you would call that the greatest success of your career? That was it. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, a closed loop actually bringing a, a closed loop to market that is up 95% of the time, which means it's operating. It's not shutting down on you. It's like uh, autopilot. You know, the synergies I see between literally the life-saving technologies that you've made in that part of your career to now the long-term generational impact you're having in our community, it's clear that you want to help people, right, at your core. Have you ever really reflected on your own personal purpose as a leader? Well, you know, before Tandem, I didn't think I was all that important, you know, because in San Diego, sure, I had a success, but compared to other people, you know, like Joan Kroc and Jenny Craig, you know, I'm a nobody. But then after Tandem, I realized I could be really helpful. Yeah. That sort of became my mission to do something significant here, which is, you know, when I do things, I, I try to do enough that will get critical mass of optimism. That's awesome. Yeah. Are there other synergies you see from sort of your medical career to what you're trying to do in the development space now, even as it relates to productizing some of your developments? Right. In each case, it's a unique brand. So we think through very carefully about how we brand something. Sure. And I'll give you an example. You probably don't know what Sam Cody means. No, I don't actually. Okay. And so there are signs on Galena Road for San Cody, San Cody Lane East, San Cody Lane West. And so I've Got to know John Morris. I'm like, John, what does Sam Cody mean? Yeah. And within a day, it comes back. It means highland. It was oh. a Native American word for the highlands or bluffs. Cool. So it's the kind of a brand where it makes you want to know more because you know so little about where you are. Right. And when you're at Sam Cody, you can't believe that is Spring Bay, Illinois. Yeah. And so that that's really an evocative right. kind of a brand that has emotion to it and invites you to be exploring the outdoors and more yeah. about your history. 
You know, Samantha had a tiny inside peek into some of the work you were doing with the Atrium Hotel. And I know you have a branding agency, but you really combine not only the outward facing elements of the brand in terms of the logo and the look and feel with really right. the internal experience that you're trying to create, right? right? That's part of your vision. Right. And, you know, for instance, at, at the Atrium, working with, you know, the folks at Columbia, they have 30 properties. They're a boutique hotel operator. And they have a place in Bozeman, Montana, that where I have a place. And they redid the old Lark Hotel. They really helped us because each one of their properties is a unique brand. Sure. And, and so as we looked around, we look at the bluffs, you look at the nature, you look at the trees and an atrium. And there was originally an atrium designed for that mall right. and it wasn't completed. So you put those two pieces together and you got a brand. And, you know, we started looking at different fields and we sort of came up with New York industrial urban chic, you know, like yeah. you find over in Bushwick and sure. over in uh, Brooklyn. And combine that with nature. And so the colors that we're picking and that sort of thing have, they mimic the seasons of the year, that sort of thing. So each one's sort of a unique thing, unique to that spot, like San Cody's unique to that spot. We'll get back to the rest of the interview in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Symantle. I happen to know a thing or two about them because I'm one of the owners. Symantle is an industrial consumer marketing firm with an obsessive focus on customer experience. We not only execute killer marketing campaigns, but we help organizations align around goals, audiences, messages, channels, and tactics to create more than campaigns, but programs that align to business strategies. Symantle has 40 years experience crafting positive, engaging customer experiences at every point in the consumer journey. And if you like what you hear on this podcast, head to symantle.com slash blog for more content. You'll find articles, tips and tricks, do-it-yourself tools, webinars, and more to help you keep learning and growing right along with us. Well, I always end all of my discussions with this question, and that is, what are you wrestling with right now? What's a question you'd like to put out into the atmosphere that we could ask another person? You said you're naturally curious. What other additional feedback can we get for you, Kim? I'll tell you this one. I'm curious about what's going on in Peoria because I read these little snippets of green shoots. In fact, I think it was yesterday morning, some ladies on TikTok recruiting people to Peoria, and she's got 20 recruits. Wow. West Peoria is on the rise. They're trying to do things with Wisconsin Avenue. You're really keeping a pulse on all that oh, right yeah. now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 What's that look like in your day-to-day routine? I mean, it just seems like you have so much going on. No, I always to... read the Journal Star every morning. <laughs> do you? Yeah. Still? The Journal Star? That's awesome. I'm sure they're happy to hear that. That's very cool. Well, is there anything that I didn't ask you today that you'd like to add, knowing that we hope a lot of Peoria-based listeners tune in? Boy, that's a hard one. I know. I know. I'm just sincere. I mean, I feel like I... Did extremely well because of where I'm from. And I feel like it's not mine. I feel like it's ours. That's how I feel. Well, again, you know, I was talking to my husband last night about the opportunity to interview today. And he said, please just tell him thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So that's where I would leave it with you. Thank you. Thank you for everything you're doing. And I hope you'll keep in touch with us at Samantha. Hey, y'all. I'm back. It was such an honor to meet and interview Kim Blickenstaff. I've read and heard a lot about him through his big vision projects in my community. But what I didn't know until now is that he is not scared of failure at all. He actually studies it so he doesn't repeat mistakes. I'm amazed that he put his own equity into all of these development projects with the intent of nothing else but to bring memories he had as a child into the lives of others. 
That's pretty humbling and inspiring. I love Kim's passion for improving people's lives. So from all of us in Central Illinois, thank you, Kim, and those at KDB Group for all you are doing to improve our community. And if you liked what you heard today, check out more episodes on our website, marketingsweats.com, or find us wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. For today, that's another episode of Marketing Sweats. Keep up the good work, friends.